0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Ask the Professor, a crowd-driven, crowd-funded feature where we respond to your questions on public policy, constitutional issues, economics, geopolitics, culture, all those things that matter to us in our common life. And today's question comes from Matthew and he says, as strange as it sounds, a Scottish man was put on trial for teaching his girlfriend's dog a Nazi salute. And he wasn't put on trial because anybody alleges that there was harm to the dog or to any other person, but rather for making an offensive statement. How can this be? Doesn't Britain have free speech going back to Magna Carta? Uh, Well, yeah, that, uh, that story, ridiculous as it sounds, is true. And in fact, he was convicted. I don't know that he actually taught the dog the salute. I think it simply had a habit of reacting in a certain way if you spoke to it and moved in a certain way, and he found that it didn't matter what you said, and it would stick its paw out. So he said, Heil Hitler, or something like that, and it stuck its paw out. But yes, he was in fact convicted of being offensive. How can this be when Britain has free speech going back to Magna Carta? And the sad truth is that in Britain, as in Canada, The rights that we were guaranteed 800 years ago have been eroded quite sharply over the last century and particularly over the last 50 or so years. People have gotten very progressive and they've decided that if things are old, they're bad. And that includes individual rights. They stand in the way of achieving the good society. And let me say here that I think the main reason this happened is the belated discovery in the 1960s of racial injustice in the Western world. People said, well, you just can't let people go around being bigoted, they'll be incredibly mean to blacks and women and homosexuals, and you gradually get this longer list of people who seem to have been marginalized, excluded, and mistreated through history. Now, I think that's a misreading of history, and I think for this very simple reason, mistreatment of blacks in the United States was, and in fact had to be, put into law to make it effective. First you had racial slavery enforced by the state, and then you had segregation enforced by the state. If there weren't laws segregating, then at the margins the system would have gradually dissolved and broken down. And that certainly was the view of the bigots, because they insisted on the laws. But that's a subject for another day. What matters is that in the upheaval of the 1960s, people got the very strong idea that what had used to exist was guilty, until proven innocent. If it was an old habit, it was a bad habit. And that included this protection of things like free speech. Oh no, you can't use free speech if you're going to insult somebody. You might call them, well, you know the word and I won't say it. But of course, the doctrine, even free speech in its pure form, did allow that there were things called fighting words that created a clear and present danger of a conflict because they were so offensive and those were never permitted, like shutting fire in a crowded theater. You could debate in the abstract The fitness of doing so, but if you actually did it you would be creating a situation that was created imminent danger to life and limb without opportunity to correct it through debate and so you couldn't do it. But the other thing along with this intellectual change is that over the course in Britain about the last 200 years the constitutional system that had evolved and I think was a marvelously balanced one that separated the branches and pitted them against one another. That's not an American invention. The American revolutionaries, when they rebelled against Britain and then wrote their constitution, were trying to preserve a system they thought was breaking down in Britain, and they weren't entirely wrong. In the 18th century, the danger was the executive was getting too strong, the same danger that had existed since Magna Carta and before. But in the 19th century, that danger was dealt with by Parliament becoming supreme. In Britain, Parliament essentially became the supreme source of all legal authority. And that did not used to be true. For hundreds of years in Britain, if a law contravened Magna Carta, it was null and void. The courts could strike it down, as American courts could strike down a law that violated the Constitution. Slavery itself was abolished in Britain because of a judicial ruling that it was incompatible with the free air of Britain, not because there wasn't a statute that allowed it. It was just declared it can't be. But by the 19th century, that couldn't happen. And it seemed perfectly safe because Parliament was in the hands of the people. It was the one branch that was chosen by the people, and its job for centuries had been to keep the executive from getting out of control. But then it began to occur to ambitious men, and later women, but at this point men, that if they could get control of the legislature, they could control the country because there was no check on the power of the legislature. As Albert Van Dicey famously quoted, by the end of the 19th century, if Parliament were to declare blue-eyed babies illegal, it would be against the law to preserve their lives. And he said, of course, politicians and the populace would have to go mad before such a law could pass. But in principle, such a law could no longer be unconstitutional in Britain. And what that means, unfortunately, is that a law against free speech in Britain is not unconstitutional either. Parliament, it, well, again, another of, of Dicey's things, said Parliament could do anything. No, sorry, John Louis de Lombe said Parliament could do anything but turn a man into a woman. Well, now it can do that too, can't it? So there is no limit on the legal sovereignty of Parliament. And so of course what happened is that Prime Ministers, because these are where the ambitious people end up, created party structures. They took control of nominations. They began whipping MPs. And so instead of trying to break Parliament, now this has been tried in the past, including by the stewards. They tried to break Parliament and it had broken them. The Hanovers tried to seduce Parliament, but they were a little too vulgar and obvious about it. By the late 19th century, it got a lot more subtle, but by bringing leading parliamentarians into cabinet, by giving cabinet members perks, extra salary and privileges, by increasing the size of cabinet and by increasing the power of the whip and central party control of election campaigns, nominations and everything else, they created a situation in which parliaments great power was formally intact, as was its prestige, but it was actually at the disposal of the executive. And so now when the executive decides that you shall not, even in jest, teach a dog a nasty salute, you can, in fact, be punished for doing it. In order to fix the situation, we need to do two things. One is we need to repair our Constitution. I actually did a documentary on this, to which I refer you. Here's the URL, talking about how to give ourselves a constitutionally grounded parliamentary system in which neither the executive nor the legislature nor the judiciary nor even all three acting together could take away our fundamental liberties. It's not the notwithstanding clause that bothered me, it's section one of the charter saying all of our rights can be taken away if the judges think it makes sense. But we also have to get into our minds that individual rights are very important to the flourishing of society and to individuals leading a good life. That the solution to evil speech is good speech, the Dracula effect that sunlight destroys evil. That if a man has sincerely taught his dog to do a Nazi salute because he's a Nazi, we should shun him and ridicule his doctrines and expose their vicious foolishness. And if it's just a prank and someone can't take it, they should learn to laugh because we cannot have society run by the most brittle and easily offended and sanctimonious of our members. So we need to repair our institutions, but we've also got to repair our thinking, because otherwise you are absolutely right that a man in the United Kingdom, despite Magna Carta, can actually be legally punished because he discovered that he could make his dog seem to be saluting Hitler, as if that were a serious threat to our well-being, as opposed to the suppression by the state of free speech and a sense of humor. If you're enjoying these Ask the Professors features, and you want to ask a question, this URL will take you to the spot on my website where you can submit one. And if you think this and my other work is worthwhile, please click here, make a one-time or monthly pledge so that I can continue to bring you Ask the Professor the documentaries and all the other things that I do. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time.